welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Not to tell you people, uh, I had that problem again. Remember a few weeks ago I had the problem, but I'm on the other microphone, so if I sound a little bit off, it's because I'm running around like a madman. I can't reach my microphone, and it's it'll all work out. And that's what it's all about. It's, and if you're listening right now, it's Christmas. It's 4 o'clock, Christmas Day. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I know I'll be opening presents. And it's so great, the advent of online shopping, because I swear to God, I went to the mall, I think, once or twice. And now in Burbank, the mall's a joke. I mean, the, the, the anchor stores are, there's a Burlington Coat Factory, a Macy's, and a Sears. So you're not getting big spenders. I mean, Macy's was good years ago, but now it's like, it's always like 70% off. And they have just these little crappy shops. Like, they don't have like a, like a DWS or Discount Shoe Warehouse, DSW. They have like some Armenian shoe patrol like i don't even know what this stuff is and the the, the prices are okay and then they have like the it's just awful but i went there once i think and i actually got something but it's just amazing with online i'm I'm getting the lovely joanne all these groupons and stuff and and you you sit there and you go online you wake up you know you're hanging out you go you're not gonna go christmas shopping you pop it in and and boom everything's on the computer just print them out put them in a box and you're set so have a good Christmas, and uh, we have a great show. It's so funny how I, I meet my guests. I, I meet them all over, and this is a guy I, I know that when you, when you live in L.A., you know, you meet so many different people in the industry, and sometimes you don't know what they do. Sometimes you don't you know if they're in the industry. Like where I get met this guy is a bar where I go to, and there's a, a heavy guy, George Olivo, who so sits there, and he sells spice, and there's another guy who does a male nurse. And I always talk to this gentleman. He's a nice, nice guy, and he was a hockey fan, and we'd always talk about hockey, and he's a Sabre fan. I'm a Flyer fan. It's just anything back east. But and then, then I start talking to him about his career, and he's this, he's this amazing editor, and he's got this, this long list working with great people. My guest is Jonathan Shaw. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Now, sure, it's, it's Jonathan P. Shaw. On, on, uh, right. Now, is, is that because of there's other Jonathan Shaws and for a SAG or whatever? whatever? No, you know, it was something my dad told me to do before he passed away. You know, he's, he was John R. Shaw, so he just, uh, something that passed down from the father, so, father yeah. of the son. See, now, you're, you're a Buffalo guy, which is funny, because we did talk about hockey, and, and growing bet. up back east, I mean, in Buffalo, there's not, there's, you just watch hockey, because it's, you know, and it's funny, just, you know, people, John, Jonathan always drinks a nice glass of red wine, and you think Buffalo, you're thinking Molson and Schnapps. Well, that's, you know, that's true, but, you know, it's, it's a, you know, like, you know, being from Philly, and you know this, it's just a... It's a working class town. You know, people are very much, uh, you know, into their sports, um, you know, kind of hit bad by the rust belt. So there's the people that live there are very passionate about what they do and great Bills fans, great Sabres fans. So, yeah, it is kind of a, you know, a lunch pail kind of a town. But, uh, you know, that's what I love about it. And, you know, people are real and, and uh, the people that stay there, you know, you know, survive. And so one of the great things is the sports and, you know, they really do support it, you know, especially the Bills who have their ups and downs. Yeah. But everybody still comes out. So it's, you know. Now, growing up in a town like that, I mean, did you ever think as a kid you would end up in Hollywood and working with, you know, in the entertainment? I mean, was that, at what point did you know you wanted to do that? I mean, as a kid, I don't think, I mean, I think kids say acting or writing and editing, which people, if you don't know, editing is one of the most important processes, one of the most important things in Hollywood, just because when you watch a movie, if you have a crappy editor, the movie looks like hell. I mean, it's, it's you know, and it's the editor's eyes and he works with the director but i mean how did you i mean as a kid what did you want to do as a kid when you were like even like in high school were you interested in hollywood or no more more interested in sports you know because i I liked you know but uh what you know i I was always kind of you know interested in photography and you know i I was always drawn to that and uh and you know i always was about things for me was all about light and you know about light growing back up we see how it could gray in the winter and stuff and how the light in California is different so those things always kind of affected me but I didn't know you know what what you know really what to make of all that and 
What happened is is that um, you know I went off to school. I took uh, I, I studied a little bit of art in school and no, college. Where, where'd you go? To Elmhurst College in Chicago. I went from one gray city to another gray snowy city with the hockey team. So um, and I loved it. I love Chicago. It's a great town. Um, never been. Oh, it's really. I great. know everyone says you have not been there. I've had guests yell at me. Go what? You never been there? And I heard it's just the food and just the, the people food, are yeah, great. It's really nice food and it's very cultural and, and you know. So I had a really good experience there and and then you know I kind of drifted into kind of an engineering kind of career out of that and it was just only by chance and so it was kind of working a little bit more in engineering I started getting involved in that and thought it was a career and you know you just you know I'm in my mid-20s early 20s and I'm not quite sure what I want to do but I'm thinking well I'd like to do something that you know is going to pay off but you know it was not very long before I realized it just wasn't for me so so I just decided at this particular point in time I was living in Orlando in, in Orlando Florida okay so you went from Chicago Buffalo to Chicago. How'd you end up in Orlando? Uh, well, it was with, through this engineering company. They they basically took me down there. Had a big after an earthquake in Mexico City. I went down there to live for a year and did some you know like his ball kinds of surveying work and stuff as they tried to repair buildings and things down there. When the project ended, they asked me if where I wanted to retransfer to, and so they gave me a number of cities in the United States to come back to, and I chose Orlando. Of course, man. You're <laughs> like Buffalo, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Send me as warm as I can yeah, get. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, so I was there, and then it's just it's there when I realized that you know it just started. This wasn't you know. I was, I was then working for an engineering company, and it just wasn't my thing. So I just really I, – I remember telling the, the guy I was working with, I said, you know, uh, just call me Mr. Hollywood. That's what I want to be – you know, so I'm living in Orlando. But I just, I just you know, I kind of focused that – I just knew what I wanted to do, and I just focused on it. And so, you know, I, uh, you know, I was married at the time, and, you know, I'm still married, and, uh, um, and to my lovely wife who just had her birthday. And uh, – so we just, uh, you know, we decided that, you know, I was going to try and do what I wanted to do. She wanted to be a nurse, and so she went back to nursing school, and I went off and kind of just did whatever I could to find work in Orlando. Well, it's so funny, but one good thing about nurses is this. There's, they always need nurses. Right. And what I've noticed about nurses, and it's so funny, and I know many nurses, um, most nurses become nurses when they're older. Like, you don't see people, like, getting out of college, like, 21 or going to nursing school most people are like they're 25 27 28 a lot of them do that and i think and as i said with a nurse it's great because you can you you can get a job anywhere right so so you're in there so now how did you end up with the editing though you're in florida well, so anyways the, the the story of that is is that you know so i'm hustling because i don't have we own a house you know she's off in school i'm trying to hustle to keep the bills going what are you doing as jobs at well i'm doing like anything i'm going like at my very first job is i went out to you know i volunteered on a set for a commercial and i was by the end of the day i was doing the clapper and that was like wow and this is for somebody that knew nothing about it right and so you know and so then you know i'd studied you know film myself and i was always a film buff but i just wouldn't you know, it wasn't I had any practical experience. The guys liked me. They hired me as a grip. I started working as a grip. I did grip work. I did dolly. I did boom work. I did anything down in, especially what happens in Florida is there's so many commercials that come down there, especially from the big agencies, uh, you know, like in Chicago and, and Minneapolis and New York come down in the winter to, to shoot their campaigns. So there's a lot of work in that kind of area. And so anyways, that, that just gravitated towards, uh, you know, trying to do all these different things to ca- stay afloat. And then one night, uh, one day job was a job at a, uh, a, a cable station. Um, they wanted somebody to come in and switch commercials at night. And basically, you know, just cutting the commercials into the cable network. And so, but they also had a very, very active uh, film, you know, a f- kind of a film unit that went out and shot different things. And so they went out one day and they shot a local high school graduation. And they brought all the tapes in and they gave it to me one night and said, here, just do something with it. And so knowing that, you know, probably nobody was going to see it and that, you know, that they didn't, you know, this was just something they did to fulfill their kind of commitment to the community as a, as a cable station. So I did this thing and I put it together one night and I was completely free of the fact that, 
you know, there was nobody, I didn't feel any pressure or something. So I just put this thing together the way that I would like to have seen it. And I added music and put dissolves in and did all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I just really kind of, you know, you know, hark back to like, you know, my graduation and kind of thought about that a lot. And so, so I put it into, did it overnight. And so then they aired it the next morning or something. And by the time I came into, to work the next evening, they, you know, the people were there and they said, you know, the f- people have just been calling in all day, parents wanting to buy this video. This has never happened before. So you just, you just, you just basically ad-libbed it. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you I, just, I, had just no, I had no idea what, you know, I just kind of was going, well, there's no pressure because nobody's going to, you know, nobody's looking. So what was, this was really kind of a, a very powerful moment for me because I realized that that aspect of storytelling, which is, you know, taking pieces of dysfunctional things and putting it together with music and, you know, dialogue and so on and so forth, you know, it's really powerful as, as a storytelling tool. And, and that was it. From that point on, I never, you know, I, I said editing's my gig, and that was it. And well, how did how did you decide what you were going to, how are you going to put it? Did you just run with it? Because, like, for me, when I interview, I don't, I, I look at the IMDb, I look at the website, right. whatever, and I don't really have any, I know how to construct an interview, but I do it on the fly. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, because you hadn't done it before, did you just, and there was no pressure, did you just say, man, did you just visualize that this would look great here, let's pop this in, or it just, just, yeah, you just attacked it. it with a wide open thing. Yeah. It was like working on a uh, artist on canvas. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, like I said, the, I think the thing was important was there wasn't really any pressure to it. So it was just like I was going, okay, so I just, you know, there's thinking that nobody was going to look at it anyways. So I'm just going to do this for myself. Right. You know, what would I feel like? And so I, oh, I'd love to do this. And so so there was kind of that's how it happened. And then, you know, literally, like I said, the next day, they, they you know, they, they, people wanted to purchase it. So then, okay, so you do that. So, you know, I want to do it. I want to do this. Yeah. I want to do editing. So now what do you do? You're in Florida. Do you sit there? I mean, it's like, as you said, it's a TV where the, you, you came upon this by basically a mistake. They just said, just do this. So right. you, you're probably saying, well, you know, they must not really have an editor here because yeah. else right. that person would have done it. So what do you do? Well, I, went, I wanted to do more, you know, stuff for them. So you they, start doing yeah, more editing. For them. And then what happened was is that, you know, it just, but it was really low pay. And it was, you know, working at night. So I said, well, I don't really want to. So in the meantime, I kept looking for jobs and, and, you know, I would do more little things. But what happened, the big break for me was uh, a movie called Jaws 3D. Right. <laughs> Came to Orlando. Mario Van Peebles, I believe. Was he no, 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 it was, was Lou Gossett Jr. Okay. Lou okay. Gossett and Dennis Quaid. <laughs> and so uh, they came to Florida, to Orlando, and they were going to shoot it. And they were looking for, like a lot of movies do, is they, they want to hire locals whenever they can, so they don't have to pay them per diem and you know, everything else. So they were looking for an assistant editor to bring on locally. And, you know, I interviewed and, and, you know, I said, I haven't really done, you know, I haven't done any film work, feature film work or, and, or any 3D stuff ever. And I said, but if you, you know, if you want me to, I'll be around. They interviewed a few more people and they called me in and uh, I picked up that job and, and I just applied myself, you know, knowing that I'd come from another field was really helpful because I, now I realized this was a break into the business. So I really applied myself. And then when the pitch, when the, when the show was over, or overshooting, they took me back here to Los Angeles. Was it your first time ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always funny because, you know, when I first came out here, it was like I remember when I was living in San Diego and I met my buddy up here. And you you think L.A., you know, and then you come up here and you're like, eh, what the hell? You know, you look around, you're like, it's not – you know, it's so spread out. So you, so you came up, you flew yeah. out here. Yeah, and so yeah. So then I worked. I worked. You know, over was uh, over at uh, on the west side. You know, at Olympic and Bundy, and and uh, uh, for a guy named Alan Landsberg, and we did the film. And, and you know, I learned a ton. And, and you know, what I had done is I become so valuable to the production. At least now, looking back at it, that they just said, "Well, this makes sense." So you know, and I got a little place in Westwood. And then what happened was I went back after the film was over. Oops, I went back to Florida. 
And uh, and then at that particular point in time, I was like a qualified assistant editor. Okay. So then what happened is then a lot of films started coming in because Florida's a right-to-work state, you know, kind of a union issue. So they so a lot of films started coming in. And so I started getting a lot of other films to do. And with each film, I wound up coming back out here, you know, for two to three months after after they'd finished shooting to kind of help through editorial. So when they bring it back out here, okay, you, you do you you get you get paid in Florida, you get paid. Out here. Do they give you a per, like? Is it reverse? Like I know like like my friends are like my friends a DVR a DVR mm-hmm. video assist guy, and like he would get like he go to Arizona and they give you the per diem. But now if you live in another state and they bring you out, do they give you a per diem? No, no. I mean that was I mean it really was. Uh, you know, I, I think in some cases you know they they took care of me a little bit. Other cases always they you know took care of my. My, uh, you know, flying me out here and everything else, and and but basically I f- did it on my own because it was an opportunity, you know, that I needed to do. So I paid for my own apartment and and you know my own food and things like that. So so um, you know that was the case, and you know and but I, each time I kept coming back, and then and then um, I did a bunch of other films, and then what happened was. Uh, uh, you know, brings me around to well, I was there, and I'd worked with another editor. We did a movie called The Mean Season with Mariel Hemingway, and uh, uh, that was shot in, in in Florida, in Miami. Anyways, that brings me around to uh, you know to I get a call from from the same editor about going on to Blue Velvet. So now, were you familiar with David Lynch's work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it's so funny when Blue Velvet came out. I still remember there was this Philadelphia comic who went by. I think he was a drug addict. I don't even know. But he went by the name of Jet Rink, which if Jet Rink was James Dean's character in the movie Giant. And he used to get up on stage and do the baby one of that scene on stage. And mm-hmm. the crowd would just be like, what the hell? Is-? He'd be like. Yeah, right, right. So you, you knew you knew Lynch's work. Yeah, well, from um, from Elephant Man, especially, which I really admired, and then Eraserhead. Now, and you know his work was sort of. Yeah, different, different. yeah. So it was funny because the call I got from the editor friend of mine, who who was still a very good friend of mine, would he said, you know, he said, well, I'm going to do this Lynch film, and I'd like you to come in to be my assistant on this one too. And I said, okay, great. So he said, well, you better read the script first. So you know, so the FedEx shows up at my house in, in Orlando, and and so I sit down and I read, the, you know, I, you know, I just pour through it, and I said, I, I love this. So you know, it was. Uh, so we uh, we decided to you know make a deal, and I went up to uh, we shot it in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So. Now, what was it like to work with him? Because he's just I mean, I saw he was up recently on an episode of Louis C.K. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, he just he just seems like he's off on a different beat, and he from is. his writing, I mean, and just his stuff, the projects he takes, he just he just seems a little out there. Was it was it weird working with him? Because you'd come from like doing a you know like Jaws 3D is a lot different than. Twin Peak. I mean, right. not Twin Peaks, uh, Blue Velvet. Right. Uh, it's completely different. I mean, you know, right. big b- action, to just very character-driven. Mm-hmm. Was it, I mean, were you working hand-in-hand with him? Was he very on top of you when you had to edit, or how did that work? Well, it, <laughs> um, well, actually, yes, it was, he was very, very hands-on. And, and the thing that happened, which was kind of really another great moment in my career, was that the editor I was working with, again, still my friend, he his first son was going to be born. And so we were on location, and he said, I'm going, got to go back to San Francisco uh, to be with my wife, so why don't you, you know, work with David, um, you, know, sh- you know, you'll be in charge of showing him dailies, and then, you know, show him some scenes and cut everything you want until, you know, kind of hold the fort until I'm, you know, able, I'll meet you, you know, he was going to go, he wasn't going to come back out, he was going to stay in in San Francisco. So now I'm like doing this one-on-one thing with David and working very closely with him and watching dailies and taking the notes and learning a ton. And so it was this great, you know, vacuum that I, you know, I just stepped up and filled and it was a great opportunity. And the coolest thing about it was just, they asked me just because they wanted to stay on schedule. They just said, well, just cut as much footage as you want. So, I mean, I just, I just, 
did, you know, I was there every every waking hour. I was there working, and then you know, on the weekends and everything, just to kind of the only time I wasn't in the editing room editing or doing my job as an assistant editor was to uh, to go to the set, which was really kind of a lot of fun because the set was pretty crazy on Blue Velvet, and you know, in and. Uh, you know, in Wilmington, it was a kind of an interesting thing. You got, you know, you got Dennis Hopper, and you got all, <laughs> you got a lot I, of. I, it was, it was uh, what part of Hopper's career was that? Because I've heard like he went up and down. Like I mean, I, I'm trying to think because I know like when like he was in Apocalypse Now, they yeah. had to like send him home because he was just yeah. so whacked out. Like he would just come to the set. Well, naked. he was he was sober. Like he was. He, so, this, okay. is, this is I think it was new sobriety, and it was very funny because you know if you know the the character of Frank Booth in the film, he's like this really taut, you know, really tightly wound, you know, character and. And when he came, I remember we were in the editing room and the door, there was a knock on the door and, and, you know, opened the door and there he was standing there and he was dressed like, you know, like Frank Booth, you know, from the film. He had the, you know, the the whole kind of semi-cowboy look to it and everything else, the leathers and stuff. And so he goes, and this is just where the editing goes on. So he came, it was just a, you know, it was interesting to meet him, but it was like he was that character already from the minute the door opened and, and. And I think that's you know probably I don't know I don't know that much about you know and I didn't really spend a lot of time with Dennis but but the time was that he was you know freshly sober or kind of near being sober and so he um, um, you know he was quite you know intense and really was into that character and so and, and so it was a lot of fun and and he helped there was another gentleman there was a one of the guys that was it was actually a racer head um, you know Jack Nance who was then also was struggling at the time and so Dennis was helping him while they were working together because he was another character in Blue Velvet so so Dennis was reaching out to him and and uh, trying to help him get through his you know trials so so it was really kind of you know it was great he was, he was really fun because he would come to to the dailies and we were in the theater at, at, at you know at Dino's Dino De Laurentiis studio there and and Dennis would sit way in the back and just kind of in the dark. You just hear him laugh at certain things. <laughs> this demonic That's laugh. Funny. He was, yeah, it was. It was pretty. And then, like, like you know, they would shoot on the stage, and then, and you're in Wilmington. It's like kind of this, you know, it's North Carolina. And then all of a sudden, these guys would come out and you know walk up to the, to the, for lunch, and they were all kind of like, you know, it's just you know the way David had them all dressed and everything else. It was just kind of like so out of place. But it was a, it was a blast, and so that was a lot of fun. And and then they brought me back to San Francisco with that. Project. To do that, okay. Now you were still living in Orlando. Yeah, and so okay. I came back. And we we went up to Fantasy Studios up in up in Berkeley, and we cut up there. And so still the same thing was that, uh, you know, the guys were still, you know, they, I was so I came up. This was one of those deals that they didn't really have per diem for me and stuff. But I got a uh, a hotel room at a place called the Golden Bear, which was like this kind of a divey little place that was down the street from the studio. And then across the street there was this this Mexican restaurant called Juan's, which was Juan's, you know. And so I usually ate at Juan's every day, and then I walked back to my room, and I was living this kind of, you know, blue velvet kind of life. Yeah, exactly. I was just editing all this stuff, and it was like, you know. And I remember the sound guy, Alan Splett, who – who's since passed away, beautiful man, but he came to me one day, he says, we got to get take you out. <laughs> he and his wife took me out for sushi, but I was so into this cutting opportunity, and it was, you know, it was just so, it was kind of like I was living that life. It was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Now, was it from that that you ended up with, in Twin Peaks? Hmm? Is it from working yeah, with David? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of did, course. Yeah, did he I mean, remember you and like you, or did yeah, he request well, yeah, you, yeah, or what happened with that? Well, there's, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, really, I mean, again, my friend is Dwayne Dunham. Dwayne's the editor guy, so it was always a connection between David, Dwayne, and I. And so when, when uh, I was doing another project, I can't remember what it was at the time, but uh, they started, they did Twin Peaks and they did the pilot, which Dwayne edited, and I think he won an award for. And so then they wanted to go to series, and so they wanted to bring me back in. And it was very interesting because at the time, I, as I recall, it was, you know, I wasn't really, you know, wanting to necessarily be in television. I was kind of like liking the movie world because it's kind of a different 
animal? It's a lot. You know, it's funny. We were talking about with uh, I've talked about other guests before how it's changed. Like it used to be, it was you know it was just you did movies, you didn't do TV. But now it's like because all the cable networks are getting yeah. these these actors who are sitting <laughs> there going. Hey, wait a second. We can get paid the same, and, and I can shoot it here and stay home. Right. And so I think it's changed a lot. But back then, it was like, yeah, it was like you didn't. TV was like a somewhat a step down for. Well, it, it was. I mean, because I mean, in, you know, it's a really good point because all the you know all my favorite TV now is all on cable. And, right. You know, because they can do some more and they bring people in and the writing so much more elevated. And, and again, I think it's a lot of it has to do. And I, again, I don't know the economics of it, but you know, with cable, you already have a built-in audience that's paying some money where you're not really selling commercials on other things. But you know, I just I think it's I think it's very much has changed. And and so, but 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 you know, Twin Peaks was really one of those shows that really kind of vanguarded that change. I mean, it was like you know, there was nothing else on TV. Oh, yeah, it, like it was it. it was different. I mean, a lot of times people would sit there and go, you talk to people and go, I I I thought it was cool, it looked great. I don't know what the hell happened. I don't yeah. know because I mean because it, it was so across and it's once again it's David Lynch you know right. you, you know you you have no idea what's going to happen and you know I give I give ABC it was Bob Iger and I give them a lot of credit I mean they really you know they went out you know they went out on a limb for that and you know you know what you're getting when you when you hire David and you know so um, you know kudos to them I really think that that was you know a very bold decision on their part to to do that and and you know it was it was a blast and so there's all kinds of things and it was just so. I mean, that time was so exciting, and, you know, people were, you know, the whole, you know, who killed Laura Palmer, and it was, I was getting phone calls from, like, the, the you know, the entertainment writer at the Buffalo News, uh, this guy, Alan Pergament, he's still there, he, he called me at home, he's trying to bust me for, come on, man, you're Buffalo guy, tell us who killed Laura Palmer, you know, and, you know, he just couldn't, man, it was very secretive, and there was all kinds of, you know. Well, what was that like for you, though, going from... It's a. Diff- I'm sure it's a very different schedule going from TV to the movies because you have to have a you have to have an episode done each week. It's right, not like a movie. Right. If something goes over budget or this, okay, well we know that we can push a release date back or you have a release date. But every week you have to come up. You have to edit right. a new show. Well, I mean, there's again, you know, there's three editors. Right, so but was that a different because you're working on deadlines? Was it a lot different yeah, for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what was interesting with that particular project was because you know David had never done any television, or Mark, Dave, Mark Frost, they, you know, I, I think Mark had, but you know, they just wanted to run it like like somebody was just making little films. And so that's, if you saw, you know, the lineup of directors is unbelievable that we're on the show. It was such an incubation thing for me. But, yeah, it was, we did get it one extra week because he was, you know, David is like a guy that likes to, you know, uh, to nourish what happens in the editing room. So unused to, like, we had like an extra week from the normal procedures. But it was, um, you know, it was just, it was was fun because it was just such a quality show and there's such quality directors and they came, they all brought something to it and, and I just—it was a great period, you know, for me because I learned so much from so many different people. But yeah, there was, you know, but it wasn't as bad as some of the other, you know. I've worked with Steven Bochco quite a bit, you know, in the recent years, and and you know, f- more for the networks. And some of that stuff has been, you know, t- you know, schedules have gotten tighter and tighter, and and uh, you know, it's about the economics of it. But at that particular point in time, it was really lovely. It was not a, you know, a harrowing experience like some of the other ones I have had. Twin Peaks was one show that actually made. Like every girl want to learn how to tie a cherry stem <laughs> with their. Remember that was like the big thing. I think Sherlin it was Sherlin Finn. Sherlin Finn did it, and everyone, every guy's like, "Oh, can you do that?" And we're like, oh, "No." So, so now, had you moved to LA yet, or were you still? Yeah, well, the, yeah, it was, it was after you know after um, Blue Velvet. Um, you know, I, I, I there was a couple of other films, and then my son was born, and so I said, "Look, you know, I, I just you know I had a two month old, and I said I can't, you know, we can't do this anymore." So we, I found a film that would take me to to Little Rock, Arkansas. It was called 
three for the road. It was Charlie With, uh, Sheen. Charlie Sheen, Kerry <laughs> Green, and uh, I remember that movie. I can't believe anybody remembers that I remember, movie. I remember seeing it. it was, and the girl, Kerry Green. Or yeah, cute, yeah, cute girl, yeah. Was there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Alan Ruck. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Alan Ruck, yeah, yeah Cameron, yeah. yeah, who was probably fifty then. Right. You know, he just looked young. So, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that was kind of a. I, I was working with this editor who I again I'd met in Florida through him coming doing films, and then uh, so it was go to Little Rock, Arkansas for location, and then come out to L.A. to finish the film. So, so that was a really great opportunity for me because I was able to have a job when I got here, and I was like again I was in a position a little bit different than a lot of people in the sense that I had a wife and, and a two month old baby. And, you know, I just needed to, you know, it wasn't, I couldn't sleep on people's couches and stuff while I made my career. So it was kind of, it was serendipitous that I got this film that brought me out here. Now, how did you, did you move straight to Burbank or where did you? Well, I actually moved to Glendale. It was our first, it was the same thing. It was, I went to, I got here, you know, didn't really know where we, we had a friend that was in Hawaii for two weeks and said, you can use our house in Santa Monica. And so we, while you find something, so we, we kind of went in there and then I just started looking. It was just kind of, and we looked at, you know, Manhattan Beach and we looked at, you know, up in the Hollywood Hills. We had all kinds of people trying to tell us, you know, places to live, but I knew I had a family. And, and plus, you know, with my wife being out here, this is her first, you know, extensive period of living here. So I wanted to, I didn't know where, so we wound up, (laughs) I'm looking at the paper and I said, oh, here's this place called Glendale. Let's go to Glendale. So we, uh. So we drove up to Glendale, and um, and it was just this beautiful tree-lined street that's right below the Brand Library. You know, yeah. you know, uh, and it was just you know, it was this great old Spanish house, and so. I said that's it. And we rented it, and bingo, we put all our stuff in, it, and that's how we started. So, that's what you know. Then we kind of, but that, you know, then I finally wound up buying in Burbank. So. Now, was it easy once you moved out here? Was it easier for you to get jobs? Just because oh, yeah. because you figure when you were before when you were in Florida, you know, you still you have to go, and it's like. They, you can't be the go-to guy all the time. Right. So when you moved out here, what was one of your first jobs you got when you moved out here after Three for the Road, that beautiful movie with Charlie Sheen, right. the Coming of Age? Yeah. What was one of the? Uh, what, what did you? Did you sit there? And I, I could know later in your career, you, you gravitated more towards. T- it seemed like you were with Twin Peaks, then you left and went into movies. Yeah. And then you gravitated back to TV too. Well, it's, it's kind of like you know, it's in you know, this is kind of you know the interesting things like you know, I, the one thing about my career is that you know I've just done a lot of stuff i mean it's you know i you know you know i've done documentaries i'm doing a documentary right now i've done the television i've done the films i've done 3d i've done imax films you know and so it's kind of like you know i kind of go where the project is interesting to me and a lot about the people that i'm working with you know i really want to work with dynamic you know directors that really have a great sense of what they're doing and and you know and and people to be fun around and stuff like that so i've been very fortunate but you know i have kind of drifted you know around and you know and sometimes you know that can be a negative you know in this business because in my business because people go well they can't really put a finger you know you're not you're an action editor you're a you know you do this you do that and you know it's you know but i kind of just gravitate towards what's you know interests me so i mean i did a lot of stuff for mtv and you know and you know that was really it, that just happened to come along at the time and the people you know liked my sense of storytelling because it's really what it i think what people find with myself and this is where I, you know i i you know i hone my craft into the, to, to, to telling stories you know and it's it's all entertainment whether i'm doing even editing a commercials commercials are many stories so it's kind of always kind of keeping that idea in your head of what what the story is and then let the visuals and everything else kind of support that so so whatever medium that is whether it's a commercial or imax or documentary or tv it's always the same thing it's kind of telling a story and telling it in an interesting way and engaging people now you said you work with botchko yeah now what were some of the projects you work with him 
Uh, the first thing we did was uh, Blind Justice for ABC, which was about a blind cop. Okay. You know, the last, last of the year. And, you know, it was a fun, great project. Ron Eldard was in it very good. It's just It was just kind of, a, I think, a hard premise for people to, you know, the whole thing was, can he carry a gun or not? So Exactly. It was like, it's, you know, they can deal with a fat cop, like yeah, uh, yeah. Jake, no, like uh, uh, Cannon, yeah. the Connor. They can deal with that. They can deal with a fat guy, but yeah. they can't deal with a uh, blind guy. Yeah, so that was, that was fun. And then we, we did a season of that. And then we did another thing called Over There. Which was about the Iraqi War, and this was like, that. Okay. yeah, and it was really a, you know, it just was too soon. It was like, you know, we were still deeply involved in that, and so it was for FX, and you know, and again, it was fun because it was cable, and uh, and uh, but you know, just it really examined a lot of really interesting things that were too close to the surface at the time, I believe, because I think if the show would do very well right now. I mean, it's a lot of emotion that happens with these people, and and you know, just to kind of bring that out, and oof. So that was a, that was you know that was fun. Then we did um, Commander in Chief, which was uh, Gina Davis, okay. the president. And you know Stephen came in to that. The network brought him in, and he brought me in on that one. And uh, and then the, the, the we did uh, Raising the Bar, which is the last thing for TNT, which is a lawyer show, which we did for the last couple. Of yeah, that was with um, with uh, John Paul Gosselaar. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He's who's a really great guy. He yeah. seems, yeah, he seems, he seems, he seems yeah. like a good guy. And Stephen uses him quite a bit, so you know, so it was great. So for that, I kind of, kind of went through and I, I rose the ranks of you know, kind of post production with him to supervising editor to then finally I kind of you know I was a producer on that show. Now, what on a TV show when you become a producer on a show? Technically, is what is are you? You're still involved in the editing, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of times it's writers who they get the producer credit, and a lot of times they say for the for the writers they say instead of giving them a raise, they say no. they're the producer. It's so as well, when you're manage, when you when you're supervising editor, so you then you have to make sure everything has to go through you at the end, or how does that work? Well, like everyone does their job, and then you sit there and go, okay, we need to change this, 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 or how? Do, what is what well is a that? little bit of that? I mean, it's it's kind of you know once you form a team, it's kind of you know it's like for instance with, with Steven, it's like you, you know, you know, only because of my continued relationship did I understand, you know, kind of his aesthetic for things, which I think was, you know, makes because there's so much going on that he has to be doing, you know, with casting and writing and everything else. So they just want somebody to follow through. So you're kind of, you're kind of taking the, you know, the boss's kind of uh, take on things and kind of making sure that that gets honored. And usually it's, you know, you have a, a team of three, three editors or so, possibly. Um, you know, and, and so that it, it doesn't take long for them to distill that down. I mean, so, you, you know, kind of everybody kind of gets the style of it. But you're just kind of maintaining that, you know. And so I work with a lot with the composer a lot, you know, just to make sure that the music sounds the way that, you know. But we're always trying to, you know, evolve. And so it was constantly trying to evolve and do things different, you know, visual effects wise and stuff. But that was so I was my, my as a producer, my thing was the post-production end of it. So once the stuff came in and there'd be and obviously there's times where. You know, you have to cut a film down and stuff like that. You know, or sh- cut a show down, excuse me, to make you know time. So there's that kind of stuff. A little bit of that, you know, getting involved and kind of then also in, you know, in pre-production, kind of sitting in in those meetings, knowing that you know what the outcome is going to be and anything that you can offer suggestions-wise to, to you know, going in that will help you know what the product is coming on the other side. So. Because when you're doing the TV now, we also talk about documentaries. Are you a fan of documentaries? I mean, I mean, do you, are you someone? I mean, I love documentaries. I might sing because my girlfriend doesn't like them. And it's like Netflix. I'm like, I want to watch it. And she's like, oh, you know. But uh, are you a fan of documentaries? Well, I am. I'm, I'm a big fan of them. But I have to say that, you know, I mean, part of it is is that, you know, I think that documentaries have changed, you know, over the years. I think they've gotten, it's more about being entertaining. You know, I think there's there's two things that you can do is you can, you know, they can be very preachy and learning, you know, and I think that that's just like if you look at, 
you know, it's not to knock anything, but the evolution of it is the sense that I find that real documentaries are more entertainment and less about the message, but the message is subliminally there. So, so that's what I always strive for is like, I just want people to be entertained. I don't want them to hit the remote. I don't want them to get up. You know, I mean, not, once you get them in the theater, they're, they're there. But it's the idea is that, you know, that you're, you're presenting ideas to people, but maybe they're not actually getting them overtly they're getting them subvertly and so and i think it's that's the key to what i try to do with that so i love them i mean you know so that's you what, know, what's one we talked about coming in what, what the bleep do we know yeah now is the bleep for the f word or is or yeah it's, okay. it's you know it's, it's really it's i mean it's you know what you know what the, yeah you know, now so. what is that documentary about you well it's a, it's a it's a i mean it's a real you know it's a kind of an examination of, of a lot of things and and it's very kind of, kind of you know metaphysical in a way in the sense that we t- you know talks about string theory it talks about meditation it talks about you know nano the, the nano world and, and you know it's a lot of things that we just don't really you know we don't think about you know and there's people that are out there that are thinking about it it's like parallel worlds and things like that and all you know it's all kind of you know set in, in a scientific you know there there's scientific backing for a lot of what it is and there's a lot of stuff that remains undiscovered you know, so as we go forward, we're learning more and more about ourselves. And as we, you know, as we get into the nano world and explore DNA and everything else, we're getting to. So this kind of that, you know, and then Marlene Matlin starred in it. And she was kind of the, the, the person that was, you know, experiencing some of what the messaging of the film was. So that's what made it really kind of unique. So you had this kind of acting happening within this documentary. And so that's and it struck a chord with a lot of people. And um it was very, you know, for a film that, you know, my biggest job there was to, is to, was to help the directors understand that, you know, some of the, some of the theories that, because they were very deeply involved in this and some of the stuff was, you know, would, you know, I'd say it's going, it's going over my head a little bit, you know, so we kind of, you know, if you, you know, so what we always tried to do, what I tried to do and help was to create something that got the broadest audience with, you know, with, with a kind of a message that, you know, and amazingly how it touched people It's some Again, I didn't. There were people that I hadn't heard from for years, and I'd get a call going, "Man, I was so moved by that film." And you know, it's just it, it doesn't. You know, there isn't a probably you know a year that goes by that somehow it isn't brought up again to me. And I've gone into job interviews, you know, where you know all I do is talk to the director. Too, you did that, and we just talk about what the bleep, you know. So, and there are things within the film that I actually, you know, you know, I took away that I you know practice in my everyday life. You know, things that, you know, there was some kind of message. Some things were for me and some things, you know. But, yeah, it was, it was so that was a really powerful film. The film did tremendously a lot of money. It really kind of. I feel like a dope. I never heard of it. I, I, I'm yeah. so funny. I'm, sitting there, I'm going, how did, and I'm sitting there going, because I, I looked and you have, you know, there's a lot of work I've heard of. You know, some documentaries you're not going to mm-hmm. hear of. That's what it is. But, yeah, well, my buddy from this guy, Stu Mark, I told you about the Devil's fan, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. He just said, he's like, yeah, oh, it must have been hard to edit that. He goes, I love that movie. And mm-hmm. he's like, how can I get a job, you know, yeah. with you as, you know, doing research? I said, I, I just send messages to these guys. Right. I told him, I said, I know the guy's a Sabre fan. But, <laughs> but, but that must make you feel good because when people will sit there and go, I, mean, I, just, I get an email from another comic he goes I've been listening to your show and I really enjoy it that makes you feel good it must be like, especially for you the people who get in contact with you after all these years going wow that was really well that's good. that's why I like documentaries a lot because um, you know I think that you're, you can do things that you know further you know the awareness of people and you know that was a, that was a film I mean I just finished up a film for um, National Geographic that just came out in November called uh, Mysteries of the Unseen World that's about all the things in the world that you can't see because they're too slow or too small or too fast and things. And it's really, you know, for, for a lot of what, um, it's an IMAX 3D film. And a lot of what, um, 
you know, National Geographic does is for that museum audience. But it's like you're saying, wife, I'm opening up some kids' eyes to something that, you know, that's great, you know, if I can be doing that. So we did another film, another film that came out just before Thanksgiving called Journey of the South Pacific, another IMAX 3D film that, you know, just these lovely people, uh, Greg McGilvery, who's down in Laguna Beach, been there, made 30 films. And he's got, a, you know, this One World, One Ocean Foundation that he's involved in. But, I mean, these are people that are really trying to do, and this thing's about, you know, the reefs of, of uh, uh, Papua New Guinea. And it's about, you know, trying to cons- can do some conservative stuff. But it's also this film that you don't really, you know, the c- conservation isn't the message. It's like, you know, look at this beautiful place, look at these people, these wonderful things. and then that. So it's kind of, you know, using that, you know, piece of entertainment to kind of then enlighten people as to what it is. So, I, you know, I think if, if we, that's giving back for me. Now, when you do those documentaries, you know, you always say you gravitate towards a project you think is going to be good. Do you, when you hear what the project's about, do you then do you do research on it just so you know a little more what's oh, going man, going on? Yeah. I mean, or do you just yeah. sit there and go, I edit? That's, I mean, what do you do? You no, ju- I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. For me, it is. I mean, maybe it's just the opportunities. I can't, you know, I mean, with the, with the What the Bleep guys, they, they were pretty much knew what they wanted as far as what the, you know, they, they kind of knew a little bit about what they wanted to do, but it was still kind of a big job piecing that together. But some other films like this Mysteries of the Unseen World, they, you know, we just, I mean, you just delve into the research. You know, you go, and it's, that's a lot of fun for me because it's just like you get now with the Internet, you just get on and you just kind of look stuff up and you, you start going down this rabbit hole of information. It's amazing. I mean, I get distracted. But, but for that film, it was part of my job was to, to research things. And then what I would do is I'd kind of, if I liked a point or something, I'd find if there was a video that somebody had already done for it. And I'd just use that. And I kind of did what I'd call a ripomatic, where I kind of build the whole film out of just other stuff, YouTube rips and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, and then kind of do the whole, and then we kind of go off and do the film. So how, how long is that, is that film? Forty minutes, because that's for because of the because because they that's the way they like it for the kids. And when you when you do a, let's say a forty minute film and you have to edit it, how much actual footage do you have? I mean, is it do you have like a huge amount? And I guess it must first of all, it must be easier editing now because it's back. There's the, the tools online or whatever. Back in the day, I mean, I know guys who were film students who would say, you know, you actually it was called the cutting room floor because you actually right, had to cut right. it and splice it, which right. I'm sure. You, that's what you did. Bet. So it must it must be for an editor now, it must be just like, I mean, once you have to learn, because we, we're older, you, you know, it's hard to learn technology, but once you learn it, you must be like, this is so easy. I mean, comparison with the, yeah. with the work. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it, you know, I would say jokingly, and I kind of, you know, saved my marriage, you know, because the problem is, is that is, is, as an editor, I always wanted to go, oh, okay, that's cool, but, you know, you know, I just wish, I just want to see it one other way, you know, so it'd be like, I'd be sitting there at night going, you know, what if I did this? And so with film, it was really difficult because, you you know, you, you took it all apart and, you know, and then, and then you, you know, there's no way to track what you'd done. And, you know, one, I, I worked, I came in and, you know, a lot of films I've done, I've come in and just worked on, uh, as kind of helping or fixing films and stuff like that. A lot of them I don't really, you know, put on my bio or stuff. But I did a film with uh, Joel Schumacher, which was A Time to Kill, Samuel Jackson. Right. And, uh, yeah, it so was a John Grisham novel. Right, right, with, uh, with Matthew McConaughey. And um, and it was just like it came in to help out. But it was like one of these things where, you know, I had, I had a scene all, you know, we're cutting on film. I think the last thing I ever did on film. And so we're cutting it, and, you know, and then Joel comes in around 6 o'clock, and we work together, and we start taking all the things apart and, you know, doing this and trying different things, and pieces of film are flying all over the place. And then so then it's about 11 o'clock, and he just kind of looks. He says, you know, the way you had it was really the best way. He says, uh, you know, I'll see you in the morning. 
<laughs> so, so he walks out of the room, and I'm just looking at all these pieces of film, and I have no idea how to get. But so when when the digital technology came along, it, it gave you this opportunity to do versions of things, and you can try to save things. And so it's really great because it just frees you. You know, I, I can do something and and then try something different. You know, and not have to be there all night because. You know, I just kind of go, oh, this is good, but maybe if I just tried this. And so, so that's kind of, you know, it's, it's been a you know, huge revolution. Well, you said the last time you worked film. So, so wait, the film, so would you, you would, how would you just cut pieces and how would you put it back together? Because it's tape. film. Yeah. So you would just sit there and, and the frames and, and then. On they, a machine, yeah. This, it, and then you tape it together right. and then you would sit there and then you could take it apart again. Right. But how many times could you take it apart together before the film starts falling apart? Does well, it, does I mean, it go what you're bad? Do, no, no. What, what, you're, what you're doing is, is you, it's just like anything else. You're taking, the, you know, there's a negative. And so then they take a negative and they strike a work print from the negative. So at the very, you know, after they develop the film the very first day of, sh- you know, that goes in that night, that shooting goes in. And so they develop it. The negative gets stored you know, at the, at the laboratory, and then they give us what they call a work print, you know, so and then we look at that in dailies the next day, which is you're kind of, you know, watching the film, and then and then that's what we start to cut. So you can cut, you can cut it up pretty good, and it doesn't, you know, after a while it does get worn out. And then films that have been worked on a lot, you know, you, you know, they, because it, what it was was splices, so you'd tape the splices together. And films that got worked on a lot, you know, you could tell <laughs> because they, the splices would, you know, kind of rattle as they went through the machine or the projector. But, but yeah, you could go on forever if you wanted to, but, you know. Now you talked about IMAX and 3D and stuff like that. Now, as an, is there a different technique to edit? I mean, because you think you know, when you see IMAX, it's so bigger than mm-hmm. life. And I'm guessing when you look at film, I mean, I don't know the whole process, but when you when you're editing film, you look at a documentary or a TV show or a movie, and you see the shot and you edit it. Does it look? Is it in 3D when you're editing it, or how does that happen? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, personally, you know, I do. Because I do a lot of other stuff, I do commercials in 3D and stuff. Or I, I have been, but, but you know, um, I don't really, you know, I, sometimes I cut, you know, in 3D, but most of the time I don't. You know, I'm kind of usually what I do is I look at things first in 3D. You know, kind of get, a, you know, like the dailies, look at it and kind of make notes and kind of go, oh, that's really killer. You know, because there's some things, some things that, you know, the performance may be better in some other piece, but their lighting might have been magical. And a lot of these things, especially with the IMAX thing, is about the visual. It's the real star of the film, and that's why they have those huge huge screens and that's so so you know i kind of do it but then i after i get you know after i've looked at it i kind of go back to doing you know storytelling so that's usually just the easiest way to do is just you know i don't want to wear glasses all day and 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 do that so you know then i'll just have you know i have a monitor there and i can push a button at any time and just look at it in 3d but you know so but when you're cutting the imax stuff it's it's a it's a lot different because pacing is different i mean the thing that's beautiful about imax or the large format you know you know, and it's not only IMAX, but there are other large formats, is that it's so immersive that you're, you know, you get into that theater space and, you know, you really don't see the edges of the frame because the frame, you know, the thing is so huge. And that, that with the, the 3D is like you just puts you, it has a way of transcending you right into the, to another world. So you have to kind of take that into consideration, especially with 3D. But 3D in any film, you have to, there's some, you know, there's some rules about, you know, whether it's, you know, any of the blockbuster films or anything else, there's certain rules that you have to follow based on, you know, making sure that everybody is comfortable uh, with, our, you know, with eye strain and stuff like right, that. Right, okay. Know. So now, when when you edit it, you start off with all this footage, mm-hmm. and then you finally make it to the final product. Do you ever go watch the... I mean, <laughs> do you ever go... Because, I mean, and if you do go watch it, do you sometimes sit there and go... I mean, because it sounds like you know when you want to change, you think that way. It, I, I, would, I would sit there and think if I edited something, I think, oh, this is great. But, you know, we, our minds always change. We right. think, oh, this is perfect. You know, this is perfect. And then, you know, a day later, you might be like... Oh, crap you know we all do like crap did i should have done that have you ever sit there and go and watch it and go okay i want to change that but it's too late 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, more than I mean, basically, excluding Twin Peaks, um, I probably never really watch things back. You know, at least right away, because by the time I'm done with the project, just like anything else, I'm kind of burned out. Yeah, because you've you know? seen so much footage. I've just... seen it so many, many times, so many, 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 many times, and I really don't want to go see it again. You know, there'll be, you know, we'll have premieres and stuff like that. You know, and you know, so yeah, I'll go to those things. But but yes, the other side of it is, is that I have looked at things. Um, you know, um, you know, a year, even less, you know, six months after, kind of looked at it and said, boy, I think I would, might have tried something different. But, you know, so much of that is that y- you know that and the audience doesn't. So, you know, that's the beautiful thing is they don't really know what you have or what you don't have. So, so it's like sometimes you're just overthinking yourself in the sense that, you know, it probably just flew by everybody else and doesn't make any difference. But it's hard. I can, you know, I can see things and, you know, just kind of, you know, I'll be sitting there. I was in, in doing a film in Germany, you know, probably about t- 10 years ago and I'm sitting there watching Twin Peaks on the television and looking at one of my episodes in German and going, boy, I wish I had. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah. You, you, yeah just, I think it's like anything else. I'm sure a songwriter must go through that. I'm sure a you know, screenplay, you know, they must kind Yeah, of, they go through it, yeah, but the difference is it's like, I mean, with the editing though, it's like, you know, you've, screenwriter doesn't really have control. I mean, when yeah, you break up the Hollywood true. system screenwriter, eh, we're going to change this, you know, but with an editor, you have the, the well, control. You know, the fun thing is, is you do have the control to a certain point. And that's, you know, so what, you know, in the, you know, the, the way it works is, you know, say for a studio is the, there's an editor's cut. So the director's out, he's shooting. And that's when, you know, I'm working behind the scenes, putting the edit together, showing him scenes and stuff. But they give you a, a couple of weeks to kind of, you know, to, you know, to, to turn in a cut. And that's really, you know, like my interpretation of what I think the best place to put the film is, maybe to comment on or whatever, in the amount of time I have, which is really, you know, oftentimes that's you know it's pretty short, and then and then in comes the director, and so then you're working with him, and it's, that's why getting back to my point about you know really liking the people you're working with, because that can be such fun, because you've you've tried stuff and you've done things, and then and then they come in, and they go, no no, that's really brilliant what you did, but here's something else I'd like you to try, and so and it becomes this really cool collaboration, and you know I really that's what I really enjoy, but then it's kind of like it then becomes you know more of the director's picture you know it's his that becomes the director's cut and then the director takes that and shows it right. to this to the producers and maybe the producers then will go okay we don't want to show that to the studio so then they start changing things and so there's all these things so you, you do lose ownership along the way and sometimes you sit there and go does it frustrate you sometimes? Because oh, sometimes yeah. you might oh, sit yeah. there and go, you know what? I know this would work better this way. Because you, that, I mean, the bottom line is you're the editor. You yeah. know how something's going to work on film. I mean, yeah. the director can think that. But do you ever sit there and go, you know, man, you're making the wrong choice? And, and you know, yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of the job. I mean, but but I think it's you know, it's I don't think I think anybody would. And sometimes it's just subjective. Again, it's like you know, that's maybe not. That's not the vision of what you think. You know, but that's that's his vision, and they hired him. You know, they hired him and he hired me or, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying it's kind of your – so I'm really there to support, you know, the director's vision, you know, to the best I can. And then, you know, then whatever. I would, but but I, I just – you know, I think if you if you work hard and you're sensible about things and you and, – and one of the great things about digital, again, was that, you know, I used to get notes on things and, you know, people would go, you know, especially would go, hey – you know, and I always kind of go, you know, try to do it this way. And then I'll always say, you know, if I'm working and I go, gosh, I think it's better this way. I always have my alternate version. You right. Know? So I'm just going, hey, here it is, you know, and that's what you couldn't do in film. So you go, here it is. And, and then I go, well, and I just want to show you this. You know, and many, many times, you know, that's the one we choose because only because I'm more, you know, I'm, the footage is right in front of me. And this may be something he's thinking in his head or something that he or she, you know, there's something that, you know, that, that maybe they envisioned or something, and when the, you get to the practical sense of what you know what the the, the coverage is on the footage and stuff, so then you 
you know, so that you kind of look at it a different way. But yeah, there are times where you go, oh, I wish. Yeah, that, I'd be like, what the hell? You know, it should be right. And we we all do that. And now with Nat Geo, now you're working a lot with Nat Geo. Yeah, now. Yeah. now, how did that come about? Did they know of you, or did you just sit there? You, someone said you do this project, and, and are you a, have you been a fan of Nat Geo magazine and stuff like that? You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, besides being a kid, we always saw the boobs. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Woohoo, well, native boobs. But besides that, did you ever? Did well, you, that, I mean, that was like you know, if, you, if I look back at you know, you know. That was the one job that I really did want is be a National Geographic photographer when I was, you know, 12 years old, right. you know, that kind of thing. But, but um, you know, it just happened that um, they, you know, through – I did a couple of IMAX films. I did, a, uh, you know, an IMAX – I did a movie about Siegfried and Roy, the, you know, the IMAX 3D film, you know, back to the, the Magic Box it was called. And so, anyways, they just knew of my expertise in this area of doing large format, um, you know, 3D films. And so they basically, through a producer, kind of brought me on, and, and you know, and then I did a thing called Sea Monsters, which and then I did another picture for them just recently, this Mysteries of the Unseen World. But yeah, I have a good relationship with them, and you know, it's just kind of that you understand what they want, and they have very strict, stringent, you know, because they are National Geographic. You know, they're very, you know, with the science stuff, they're very, very much, you know, standards and practices. It's right. got to be, you know, really thought out and really well researched because they can't be in a position to, you know, to be putting things out there that haven't been substantiated. So so a lot of the fun of the research of that is that, you know, you do the research and then you get you get all these. We did a movie with um, when we did T-Rex for IMAX. It was the same thing. We were recreating, you know, these these dinosaurs, you know, and, and they had to be as autonomically correct as they possibly could based on people's knowledge, you know. So so we would have these meetings every week. And same thing with sea monsters. We'd have these meetings every week with all these scientists from around the around the world. And we'd get on Friday, they'd all talk about seeing each iteration of this, the, visual, the visual effects, the CG stuff, and to seeing how it, you know, how it worked. And they would comment and stuff. And then but it was really funny. Is the, the fun part about that is, is that you know. So as the film went on, they would tell us, "No, the, you know, the, the wing wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. So we'd have to go back and redo all this stuff." And then as as the film got closer and closer, they would start com- commenting on like stuff like the music. <laughs> it's stuff like this. You're going, "No, no, no. This is not no. right. You're, you're the expert. You're not. You're, we like the music. You know, it's like so." Well, now you said about Nat Geo. One thing is, you know, so the, some of it's for the kids. Yeah. Now, as an editor. Do you have to take that into account just because kids have a different attention span? I mean, it's like an, you know, a, a person, an, an, an older person can watch something, you know, for a certain amount of time. But now, because kids, their attention span sucks. I mean, kids yeah. are just like that, that, that. Yeah. When you edit that, do you have to take that into account going, okay, or do you talk to the director? Like, a kid's not going to sit there and watch 35 seconds compared to, right. you know, Ten seconds. I no. mean, do you have to come think about that when you? Oh yeah, yeah. Again, it's just you I mean you have to. I mean, it's just like anything. It's 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 staying, you know, current to you know to to what people are used to, and so you have to kind of. That's why with this this mysteries the unseen world, we were, you know it's really visually exciting. And there's all kinds of like great 3D and you, and we were trying to always be immersive. That you know so that you've had this film. It was like a ride film, and you were learning things along the way. But that's really what you know. You want you if you're doing your job correctly, you've engaged them. And so, therefore, you and you have to understand, you know, what they. So, yeah, you know, you keep the music going, the pace up, keep the beats happening, you know, because that's just, you know. But still, you don't, you don't want to diverge off of really what the subject matter is. So, so there's just, a, you know, it's just a lot of ways of kind of doing it. But yes, you got to keep it, you know, you know, really. We we used a, our for that film, our our VO was a Forrest Whitaker. Okay. Because we liked him because you know he had this kind of you know every man kind of thing that was really quite helpful and so. Now, when the, when you use the voiceover, because you do voiceovers later, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. post, 
do they come in and they do they already do the edited version, or is there sometimes where they will lend their voice to something and then you have to re-edit it? I mean, how does that work? No, I mean, well, I mean, most of the time, I mean, there's two different. If you do, if you work in animation, that's the way it goes, you know, because, you know, it's it's they you know they read the script and then you kind of edit you know storyboards to this to that. But with this stuff, it's they see a finished movie, and so then they and it's already written. So most of the time, you know, we, what we'll do is we'll temp. I mean, you know, it's so funny because I, I, my voice is in, you know, I usually am the voice of these films um, all the way up to when Forrest Whitaker walks in because, you know, we, what we usually do is we'll get somebody, as we start to show it to, um, to more and more people, then we usually get like some, you know, you know, I don't know, uh, some just normal actor that has a great voice to do it, and then what they are always looking for is a celebrity actor, so, right. to sell the thing. But but up until that point, until we bring in that that last step, is it's usually me just doing it because we change things. You know, it's like you know, come in the next day, go, you know what, that doesn't work, so I can just go record it and cut it in, and so so you know, there's a certain amount of that that goes on, and, you know. So, that, so you're always kind of writing and changing, and, and you know, it's which is you know a lot of fun. Now, what are some more projects coming up? Do you have, do you, I mean, do you guys, I saw you have the website. That's your uh, company? Yeah, yeah that, we, do, we do 3D stuff now. The 3D stuff is, you know, we've been doing commercials and, and other things. It's, it, un, you know, right now, unfortunately, 3D has kind of hit a plateau. Um, it's, you know, because of what happened in the home, it didn't really happen. You know, people, people just... People don't want to sit there and put glasses on and watch TV. That's it's, true. It's, it's I like, mean, I mean, yeah. I have glasses. I, I take them up half the time when I watch TV. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, it's, you know, but, but you know, and there was other issues that, you know, that... That, that, you know, there was a kind of the rollout was kind of, you know, not necessarily, you know, uh, handled what I would say in the right way because people were very confused. The consumer was extremely confused about, you know, do they have to buy a new TV and then there's active and passive classes and so on and so forth. So it didn't happen. So we're kind of pulled back a little bit on that and now looking more at, you know, just like the social media aspects of stuff. So so I kind of the fun thing is, is that, you know, when I'm not cutting a picture, I'm working, producing stuff for other, for other mediums. Well, I was going to say for the commercials, it must be uh – it must be a lot easier of a gig for you, per se, because it's so much less time. Or does that make it harder because you have to tell the story that much quicker? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, a lot of those, I don't, I don't actually edit. I, you know, I'll get, bring somebody in to do it because it's just, you know, I kind of put my producer's cap on for those. But, but you know, um, it is the, the thing that's different about it, yeah, it's a shorter thing, but it's also, it's, Often, oftentimes very much more intense because there's a lot of money involved. <laughs> and right. there's, there's no room to make a mistake. You can't, like, you go out and you shoot it. You know, like in a film, you know, you're shooting 40 days. If you screw something up, you can go back and stick it on the edge of the schedule and redo it. You know, if you're out there and you've got, you know, talent and, you know, a s- studio stage and everything else and you don't get it, you're, you're, you're in tough shape. That's why there's always, like, people from the agency on the set and all kinds of people looking at everything. And so, so it's a little bit more, yeah, it's shorter, but it's pretty much more intense. Mm-hmm. Now, would you uh, ever think about doing a documentary about your Buffalo Sabres? Does, does everything of you happen? Cause do, or, or even just for yourself or for friends, because you have the editing capability. Uh, I mean, you could probably go, like, just because, I mean, you have to have friends who are still Sabres friends. You have oh, yeah. friends. Oh, yeah. I mean, and just even YouTube. Have you ever thought about just getting some stock footage? Because you can find footage everywhere. And uh, now for you, you could do that. Do you ever think something that is just as a project or for the Bills, of course, at the end, be like the Bills, be like the Eagles, wouldn't win anything. Uh, but would you ever, because, I mean, those Buffalo, I, I still remember the Buffalo Sabres of those young days with the, you know, the French Connection. I mean, that's right. like that's like that's like one of those thirty for thirty documentaries. Someone right. want to see? Yeah. No, no. I'd love to do that. I, you know, I would love to do that. I just because I'm, I'm a huge sports fan, and so it would be fun to do that. And uh, 
it's just you know you know I just need to get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Now how do you how do you get the time to watch sports? Because you seem to be editing a lot. I mean, it's and plus for you, I mean, it's like I guess hockey is different because you know I watch the Flyers if they're on. But right. if I said I have right. Charter Cable and they have the they upgraded us all these HD networks, but they didn't upgrade NHL network. And and once you've watched hockey in high definition, yeah. you cannot watch hockey again no. regularly. Mm-hmm. Do you do you, do you have a package at home or do you want? No, just, just I mean I mostly mostly I follow it. You know because it's just and especially this year because they're you know. It's kind of a down year for our Sabres so um but it's mostly you know I'll follow it to a certain degree and then you know as, as you know after after Christmas you start to see more games on TV and they you know they get a day and um you know and so you know then towards the end of the season if they're in the, the then I'll seek it out a little bit more but uh you know they, they were here earlier in the year do they play this, the Kings? So I know I was going to go, and it was because I could get like the upper deck on yeah. StubHub for twelve bucks. Because yeah. StubHub, StubHub, if it, if it's not like a Devils or a Red Wings, people just start getting rid of tickets, yeah. which is weird because the Kings are doing great. Yeah. yeah. So now, uh, and what's your favorite red wine of the week? Do you have uh, Joe? I know you like red wine. Do you? Well, do you I just once in a while, I like a glass of Merlot. Yeah. You do you know, like the Merlot? You know, it's a, but it's you know it's kind of it's fun. We you know I, I just you know I I like uh, I'm. Getting fond of olive oil now too, so because oh. you know, going up to uh, to Napa recently and kind of you know touring around up there and kind of just kind of looking at that and 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 you know and then we started getting involved in olive oil a little bit and starting to figure out you know what what we like in that. So I'm, I didn't realize there was such a variety. In oh, it's huge! Yeah, my, my, I mean, olive oil. There's, I mean, even even when you go to Ralph's, you sit there and there, you look at the olive oil and there's like. Yeah. And they're and funny is their prices from like and five ninety nine to like twenty three ninety nine. Yeah, some wild stuff. So yeah, so that's kind of you know that and cheese and those are good things. But I have to be you know those are the things that I you know kind of cherish when I'm relaxing. Any big Christmas plans? No, no, no. Just it is Christmas f- Day. Family, family coming in. My son will be coming in for Christmas uh, that m- that morning, Christmas morning, and so he'll, he'll fly in from San Francisco. But, yeah, we're going to be just together. Now, do you ever go back to Buffalo? Yeah, we do. We do We do quite a bit. You know, it's, you know, I go back, I mean, for Christmas and also for other times, I go back as often as I can. And my, my wife goes back. My daughter went to school there at Canisius College. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're still, all our family's still there. So we get back as much as we can. Do you, do you go to the games, any games when you're back there, or do you say yeah. no? No, no, no. I mean, I've gone to, well, I mean, you know, I, I kind of got a bunch of guys, and we do Bill's roadies. So we last year we went uh, we went to San Francisco. Uh, they played the 49ers, and then the next weekend they played the Cardinals. So it was back to back. See, that's cool. That's like yeah. that's like it stunk this year because the Eagles played in Oakland, and I'm not going to go to Oakland because <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to the Raiders game as an Eagle fan. And then last year they played in Arizona, but I was back east. And this mm-hmm. year they played Arizona, but it was in Philly. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers game was in Philly, and I'm like, ah, you know, I just want to go, but yeah, you never, you never get. To see I, you it. know, it's you know the fun thing. Is that, you know, I enjoy that whole experience, and I, I enjoy the, going to hockey games too. It's really hard, to, you know, beat watching stuff on television, though. That's just that's the you know, it's it's. It, I love that experience, and I do it enough that you know, if I go once or twice a year. I mean, same thing with Dodgers. You know, I love to go to go over and you know see a couple games, but it's you know some of that is just you know. Especially with football, so so you know, just so fast, and there's so much that you want to see. And well, yeah, it's it's true, and, and all the replays, and you sit there. And yeah. It's so much easier with like you sit there on your couch, you know, and you yeah. have the TV, and you're just hanging out. You can do whatever you want, and you go, oh, well, it's halftime. You can go do something on the computer, well, you know, and it just it makes it so much easier. Well, I get together. You know, this is one thing we do do is that I get together every Sunday with a 
bunch of guys, you know, and my son used to be part of this group, and we get together and we watch the Bills game. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, so, you know, we go to this guy's house, you know, and, and we all kind of get together. There's a bunch of guys hanging around and watching. So I still have that ex- emotional experience. Oh, that's you know, we're, good. we're cheering and, you know, doing all that that's kind of good, stuff. That's good, though. Yeah, so, but. I want to thank you for coming on, John. Well, thank fun. you very was, much, uh, yeah. You know, and I'm sure I'll see you around. And, uh, and uh, yeah, check out people. Check out his uh, IMDb. It's Jonathan P. Shaw. That's right. Because there's a bunch of there's a bunch of John Shaws. There's a bunch of Jonathan Shaws. Because it's, it's a common name. Check it out and you'll see and go watch some of his work. You know, it's, uh, it's some great stuff. And, uh documentaries i'm a big fan i'm not gonna look for some of these i'm look for that one that you told me about and so i'm gonna check that out and people if you want to follow me follow me at twitter at cooper talk also email me cooper at indy100.com you can also go to coopertalk.net i have about 210 episodes up or go to the google play store and type in cooper talk and i have the cooper talk app if you have an iphone go coopertalk.podbean forward slash mobile forward slash you can load it right on your desktop also itunes and stitcher it's Cooper Talk, one word. So I want to thank you guys, and you guys have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, please send me an email, Cooper at Indy 100. Happy holidays. Remember to drink your water, take your vitamins, and eat your vegetables. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests, and now it's time to get lunch. <laughs>